This is Shift Run Stop, a fun podcast about games and cultural stuff and comedy and interviews. I was thinking about putting the, um, the video camera on to try and get some, some visual of us sitting in the park where we are now because it's very um, pretty and warm and sunny. It's atmospheric. It's, yeah, it's nice. You can just hear a bird in the tree. And a, a car on the road <laughs> is London after all. There might be some football in the background in a minute and the odd person walking past. We might hear snippets of conversation from Londoners. Oh, that'd be interesting. We could, we could try and um, get a collection of sport noises in the background. There is football this time and there was tennis last time because we're sitting in a slightly different part of the park. That's good. And over time we might, we might gather a collection of Cockney accents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we could um, upload them to some sort of um, sound library, <laughs> like the BBC Sound Library. <laughs> That's exactly what's needed. <laughs> they could use them for, um, I don't know, like the Archers. They've got a really weird collection of accents on the The Archers, London but... version of the Archers. Yeah, I don't know what that would be. That would be good, Why wouldn't it? No like one? a radio drama about hmm. life in a big city. Yeah. Like EastEnders, but for radio. Yeah. Why isn't there one? Like an, an urban Archers, where instead of like cow noises, it's car noises. They love their cows. Now. <laughs> but half of the Archers is on the phone now. I listen to the Archers quite a lot these days. Right. And um, they've got this sound effect of being on the phone, which obviously costs them quite a lot of money. Or like a filter but, of... Yeah, it's like... Hello, I'm on the phone. But obviously, it uh, either costs them a lot of money or their actors can't always get into the studio, so they use that. Yeah. Oh, cheeky. Yeah, one of them's been off sick for a bit and is just, like, dialing it in, literally. Yeah, I, I would not be surprised if that's what's happening. And sometimes it goes on for quite a while. They'll have, like, a sort of 10-minute conversation. Oh. The actually is only 15 minutes long, so <laughs> it's quite surprising when it turns up more than twice in an episode. I'm surprised you listen to it for more than five minutes. Well, it's sort of on in the background while I'm cooking or doing other stuff, so... Because I don't have a telly, so I just put the radio on and um, use it as background noise. And more often than not, it seems to be the archers that's on when I put the radio on. So, so you're a Radio 4 listener, then? Yes, yeah. Um, it's easier than changing the channel, I find. <laughs> just leave it on. You don't have to deal with adverts, which is important. Radio 4 is interesting because it, it veers wildly between being incredibly interesting and being unbelievably boring. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two things that are on Radio 4. That's its remit. <laughs> there's no middle ground. I can tell. No, there's, there's nothing else. There's no... <laughs> stuff that you'll definitely always listen to and stuff you just never turn it off straight away. Well, we can fill that middle ground with rural arches. Well, I mean, urban, urban arches. arches. Yeah, the urban arches. Oh. I think there's definitely a vacancy. <laughs> I'm embarrassed now to have said urban when I meant rural. Oh, you can edit it. I'm also double embarrassed because that man just gave us a really weird look. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, you sort of forget. We're so used to being at this setup where we're just talking to a microphone with headphones on and forget you're in a public space. It's slightly unusual. We should try and set up the camera and uh, give people a, a visual aid. Get a glimpse. We could do a selfie. It's, selfies are very popular it's, at the moment. Oh, no. I know. I'm trying to avoid that. There's sort of very difficult to make them flattering I find <laughs> if you film for long enough there's probably an angle where everyone looks okay yeah, it's the sort of looking up your own nose aspect oh, of it that's not, not too good is it I feel like it's the um, the epitome or the uh, the sort of emblem of a, apotheosis a, a grander I don't know what that means no not at all isn't that where you buy like medicine in the 19th century <laughs> it just fits in that sentence <laughs> it could be the apotheosis what I mean is that the selfie is, is the culmination and Ooh. the sort of symbol of a general uh, social media echo chamber thing which is not a particularly original thing to say but I was thinking more in terms of things like even when you don't expect it or notice it things like Facebook and Twitter are actually a, a device for um, putting yourself at the centre of the world so you can you you sort of use them to reinforce what you believe about yourself and you craft something even if you don't know you're really doing it you're still crafting yourself in a position of being in the middle of all this stuff mm. in a way that's a little bit artificial um, when you're going around in meat space as they say yeah. in the real world you're you're slightly more possibly slightly more vulnerable or in a, and there's always ways you can defend yourself if you're in the middle of this self-created self-curated kind of echo chamber even to the extent that the photos that you take of yourself when you're when you're taking a selfie mm. you're not compelled to upload the first one you take no i imagine that 90 percent of them are discarded if not yeah. more than that. <laughs> yeah yeah you take a hundred you're gonna <laughs> pick the good ones aren't yeah. you you're gonna you've, you're actually editing your own self-image yeah and i'm sometimes surprised when i see a photo that i that i haven't taken of myself mm. that maybe somebody else has, has snuck in the background sometimes, mm. sometimes my wife will take a photo of me holding a baby mm. and uh that's not what my nose looks like yeah yeah <laughs> There's, there's some disapproval as well. It's like, I did not authorise this photo. Right. <laughs> it's like, someone someone today took a photo of my back. Oh, yeah. I was eating cake while talking to someone, which I think is totally acceptable. <laughs> uh, and he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't having a go or anything, but he, he tweeted, um, appreciating Rue's 
cake while eating technique or something like cake while yeah. talking technique or something right. and I felt quite quite papped right I felt like my life had been intruded into <laughs> yeah. and it went on the internet this is what oh, you're saying immediately was, on Twitter right, right. Yeah. on Twitter right. four fades one of them mine and I did like <laughs> the photo I thought it was quite a nice photo but yeah. that's an example of slightly outside of the sort of self-reinforcing echo chamber of my yeah. self-image being perpetuated mm. actually my self-image being challenged somebody else's view of my of myself that's uh, very interesting yeah photos of photos of your back is something <laughs> you, you can never do yourself actually you that's don't right. know what the back of it's you not an like image I'm very familiar with yeah. I went to um, for, well a friend of ours I think um, both with Rachel Caldicott I went to her birthday party last year and I recognised her boyfriend <laughs> from <laughs> from photos of the back of his head that she's sort of <laughs> accidentally included on Instagram that's and impressive like, and I was like oh yeah I know your you know because I know his silhouette I know your yeah, hairline his profile yeah. And, yeah but from behind really I, I didn't know what his face Face look like because she's quite discreet about not posting dozens of pictures wow. of her family's faces. Now this is this is an impressive ability because I, when faced with somebody that I might have seen in the past, mm. even when I'm looking them full in the face, five times out of ten I will have I'll be drawing a blank. I'll be right. thinking oh, I don't know who you yeah. are. Yeah. This is embarrassing. I wonder if I can get away with calling you <laughs> you <guess>. or <laughs> or love or whatever. Yeah. I try not to say love too much, but mate. you know, mate, for example, mm. just to get out of this embarrassing situation, I don't know who you are. Mm. You're saying that you saw somebody for the first time. Yeah. Having never seen a photo of their face, yes. having only seen photos of the back of their head, and you were yeah. able to identify them correctly. Yeah, but in the context of expecting them to be there, I suppose, and sort of maybe slightly being on the lookout for that person as well, subconsciously. Maybe that helps, so it that wasn't, it wasn't a total random selection no, of people. Okay, yeah. okay. But, um, I'm feeling better about it, but still, I'm, <laughs> I'm concerned that your but abilities I, are too, too high. No, I'm not great on the face recognition either, particularly, mm. unless they're quite distinctive looking. I think um, I'm about as good as iTunes. No, what's it called? <laughs> iPhoto. Yeah, you should have a thing where you can compare your skills with a, with a robot. <laughs> I'm that good. Facebook are saying at the moment that their, photo rec- oh, their face recognition software is really good, like as good as a human. Right. But I'm really bad at it. So if they're claiming to be as good as me, then that's not much of a statement, really. Yeah, a friend of mine said recently, um, those uh, capture things that say, uh, you know, type in these wiggly letters and numbers to prove you're not a robot, she said, I can never do them. And that was not a nice way of finding out. Like, she isn't a human. <laughs> yeah, turns out you're a bot all along. Yeah. But that would be a thing you could do. You could show photos of people that, that the person who is being tested for humanness mm. would be expected to know who they are, oh, and yeah. then have them enter the name of the person that it is, mm. and then the, the machine learns from that and knows, oh, well, you know, eight, eight people out of ten think that that, yeah. that person's called this, and do distributed face recognition through humans, through captures. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. It might slightly alienate people who aren't very good at um, face recognising, as in you wouldn't be able to log into things. It would sort of create a kind of slightly elite level of people who could use software. That's right, it would discriminate (laughs) against people like us. But also you could have, like, slightly subhuman race of... It's like you're halfway between being a capable human who can (laughs) recognise human faces and a robot, and there'd be this whole kind of... It's like a science fiction film like or or novel, a whole kind of sub-level of um, humans who can't quite tell what other people's faces look like. Services they're not allowed to use because they're not good enough at people stuff. Like, like you can't use any social networks because you're not trusted with people. Yeah, there'd be this underground society and they'd all have their own ways of identifying each other that didn't involve faces. And there probably were slightly... You know, I think there is a correlation between geekiness and this inability to recognise faces that's... Do you think so? Yeah. Do you think it's one of the traits? I think I've either heard that or deduced it by the number of people I've talked to have been a bit geeky and have problems with this. And also, you know, like um, people with autism, spectrum disorders, really like things like Thomas the Tank Engine when they're children because of the big easy faces, I think. But doesn't everyone like Thomas the Tank Engine when they're children? <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Maybe they're asking the wrong questions. Because the other thing is, like, children learn them all really quickly, and if you don't know them by the time that your kid is, like, two, they're going to be looking down on you. <laughs> be derision age. from my own child. <laughs> like, come on, yeah. Grandad. They do really. I mean, I've, I've uh, got a friend who's got a three and a bit year old, mm. and he knows all about octonauts. Oh, my, yeah, my nephews are the same, and the same age. Yeah. yeah. Are these children who are into octonauts um, are their parents quite geeky? Uh, yeah, it would be fair right. to say. Yeah, yeah. I wonder yeah. if it is a slight kind of geeky child thing in the be. same way that Thomas used to be and still, sort of still is. Yeah. You have to imagine that uh, geeky traits are inherited. Yeah, I think they generally are and that's why they have so many problems with um, Asperger's in the in, um, Silicon Valley because the 
parents meet whilst at work at Google or whatever. Is that a thing? Uh, yeah, huge problems, yeah. like The, the Aspie I Nation mean, growing sure, in Silicon Valley. I'm sure our listeners want a lot more about this than I do, but I, I've heard that, yeah, there is a huge problem with um, the hotspots in America and, you know, around the world. That's a major one for That's really children interesting. with these, these kind of problems. And it's worth, yeah. uh, listeners who maybe aren't familiar with our slightly jokey tones, yeah. worth knowing that we, we massively identify <laughs> with the geeks of the world. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we're both on the scale. Maybe listen to a few more of these episodes. Listen to anywhere I talk about my IBM Tills collection. <laughs> and listen to anywhere Rudy talks about Lego. Or, or our obsession with Red Dwarf. Oh, yeah. Or literally yeah. anything that we like. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're, we're not judging here. We're very much part of the culture that we're talking about. <laughs> we're, we're laughing at ourselves as well as everyone else. Just wanted to get that in there in case anyone starts emailing us no, angrily. No, it's good. It's good to, definitely. Um, but we had a comment recently about your Lego interests that made me think that someone had listened to an older episode because I don't think we've talked about Lego that much recently. Not Maybe recently, we have. no. But there was, I think we've had a few new listeners since we um, turned up on iTunes again. Well, and, and also thanks to The Observer, yeah. We had, uh, mm. we had a very nice review in the mainstream media. Yes. And my other podcast was reviewed as one of the best podcasts of the week by The Telegraph. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, That's so both, both sides of the mainstream media, right hey. and left-leaning, are... Uh, well done. Are, are, uh... <laughs> I like that you, yeah, I like that we're the left-leaning side as well. <laughs> You've got this secret other <laughs> political life. Beardy <laughs> Dance is okay with The, with the Telegraph. <laughs> Um, speaking of listeners' feedback, though, we, we did have uh, a, a tweet recently that I don't understand. Yes. I'm hoping you can help me understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So after a previous episode where you, listeners will remember we were in this very park watching mm-hmm. Red Dwarf together. Yeah. And we did a live commentary. Yes. So if this is your first episode, go back and, uh, and, and watch episode one of Red Dwarf with us because that was, that was fun. Yeah, about well, I, I enjoyed episode. it. Yeah, it was That was the last one. But anyway, Barney Livingston tweeted at us that, that same week yeah. saying, in quotes, Barrington. I didn't even need to look it up. I have literally no idea what he's talking about. See, this took me a minute as well, but then I realised what it was. It's because, uh, while we, I mean, listeners, we'll give them a minute to work it out themselves, perhaps. No, that's long enough. The, uh, <laughs> the situation was, when we were doing the Red Dwarf commentary, I said, or you said, didn't Danny John Jules used to be in Maid Marian <gasps> and his Merry Men? That was the character's name. And we couldn't remember the character's oh, name. Oh, that's brilliant. And I was like, oh, something with a B, I think. And I like, that, I like that it was Barney, that actually it's Barney Livingston that pointed this out, and it's almost an anagram of Barrington. It so could be a nickname. If he... Barney Livingston doesn't go by Barrington <laughs> as a nickname, he, he probably should do. <laughs> he should do. I think Barney Livingston as well is... Um, someone worth looking at I think he's Barnoid or Baranoid I think he's Barnoid on Twitter Um, and I think he's done some interesting things with like Mode 7 and 8-bit graphics and stuff so go and have a look at him because he's he's an interesting chap he sounds like someone that uh, Chiffron Stop listeners would would, uh, appreciate yeah I can see why he listens to the show um, (laughs) based on the the few things I know of him well thank you Barney I I had been wondering about that and I've seen Danny John Jules crop up a few times in the last couple of weeks where's he been has he got grey hair now uh, no, he was surprisingly few grey hairs, actually. It was only recently I saw a couple of tweets uh, that listeners to Chiffron Stop will now be frantically filling in the gaps and, and telling us what he's been doing. I've, I've yeah. already forgotten. It yeah. wasn't related to my life, so right. I, I ignored it. I moved on to the next thing in the stream that might have been about me. Yeah, of course. Shift, run, stop. It's snack time again. On a previous, um, on a previous snack time, I uh, think I dismissed the Cadbury's creations as being, at least one of them, as being like a rubbish Wonka bar. Yeah. Yes, you did. And um, and then I've noticed that there are new Wonka bars in the shops now. They've actually started labelling them Wonka. Yeah, these are, these are Nestle is the oh, manufacturer. Okay, so Nestle own Wonka, and Cadbury have something which looks a bit like it should be it Willy Wonka, but Wonka. is not, and it's called, yeah. like, Marvellous Creations. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's as close as they legally feel they can get. <laughs> That's where their, their lawyers have advised them not to go any further with Roald Dahl or, yeah, language or right, it's, don't so, use any adjectives that Roald Dahl might have used in a particular so, book. So now it's like the the official licensee of Wonka is fighting back right. with uh, with uh, new Wonka bars now, available. Now, these, these two new bars that you've got in front of you, yeah. I noticed that neither of them appeared in any books. I, I think it's like sort of like Bertie Bott's Every Flavour Bean in the, in the Harry Potter books where they brought them out yeah. and to people who were... You, used to the idea of some kind of magical confectionery. Oh, only to disappoint. They would only disappoint. Right. And okay. I think if Nestle were to market, say, um, you know, everlasting gobstoppers or whatever the, the, the mm. things like the chewing gum that goes on forever that right. never the, loses its taste. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
I don't think that that's a practical thing. Well, I think their lawyers <laughs> would have advised them against it. I think they yeah. would say it would you're going to be sued. Though, I, think, yeah. I think ultimately, if you yeah. if you name your product after a fantastical, yeah. uh, non-existent, physically impossible attributes, thing, not good for marketing. You think? Yeah. I have a bit of a problem with them calling it Wonka, though, just because. I, I don't really think Willy Wonka's a very good role model in a lot of ways. And sort of the sort of person I would associate with, you know, I, I don't know if I would trust something that he created well, and branded with his own name. Even just from a sort of ethics point of view, mm. it, we know he uses slave labour. Yeah. We know he, he brings oh, over he all these immigrants. He's a trickster. Yeah. He, and and he has them working well, all hours in his little factory. Yeah. You, say, you, you say this. Yeah. You say this, but imagine were the book Charlie and the Chocolate Factory to be real, or any of the film adaptations, right? right? By 2013, yeah. like Wonka has long retired. Oh, this is the company... This is when Nestle have bought them out. This is the company <laughs> that was being run by Charlie Bucket. Oh. OK, right? that makes it feel like Charlie mm. Bucket would not have renamed the Wonka Chocolate Company to Charlie. That, that would have just been mad. He would have wanted to honour. Yeah, he would. He wanted. You know, there was strong brand recognition for yeah. the Wonka product. They had mm. an air of mystery about them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know. All right. So everything we're about to taste, we've got Charlie Bucket to blame. Well, what I'm saying is, is that any new product that comes out from Wonka, <laughs> yeah. right, it comes out from notionally a post Wonka Wonka. Yeah, Wonka's retired. Yeah, Wonka's retired. That's the maybe whole point. by the, he maybe by over. now, maybe by what... now, Charlie has retired. <laughs> and well, and and still, we we have at the heart of it that Nestle have have bought the rights. Yeah, they whether they've bought them from Charlie Bucket or I... you know from <laughs> Roald Dahl, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know. <laughs> the, it, there's, there's no sort of like uh, made by information. <laughs> no Umpalumpas were harmed. They do actually. Making when, you the, um, when you when you look at the, uh, the 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 thing for, I don't know what this is. I it's guess the, it's he's holding him up. It's, it's the international sign for uh, throw away your litter in a in a rubbish bin. Yeah, is that sign? Yeah, and they they've done it um, quite artfully with two Umpalumpas. Two Umpalumpas. Mm. Yeah. It one, looks one like one is holding is the other helping one the other one yeah. quite unnecessarily, lifting him quite high above the it. bin. Like, he could have just reached <laughs> in. Yeah, I mean they could have screwed it up and, and like you know sort of basketball dunk. I don't know, but oh. yeah, that's what they've done there. And look what they've done with the uh, with the barcode. Oh, they've turned the barcode into the gates of the factory. Oh yeah, wow, that's quite nice. Well, they've put that's some effort up. in. Okay, I'm going to give them a chance. Let's, let's see what they did with the flavour then. You know, so, I imagine that that was probably Charlie's idea. Yeah, Charlie or his grandfather, who I don't think is dead. Oh, he must be. Oh, he must be now. Grand, um, <laughs> what, 30 years later, maybe. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, well, he, he's dead now, but he he might have lived long enough to help them come up with that idea. So, oh, these, these break broken. up <laughs> into, um, into little shortbreads. So. Okay, thank you. So it's not, mm. I think come in like squares, as you'd imagine. Mm, very it's sweet. Got the Wonka logo on them. It's nice. Quite rich. It's sort of. Um, so we should describe them really. It's like a normal sized dairy milk chocolate bar for one person, and it's broken up into square chocolate. Four pieces it breaks into, isn't it? And yeah. The squares mm. breaks into a slightly more generous than a standard yeah. uh, Cadbury oblong. dairy milk oblong. It has like a biscuit in it. Like a, a bits of biscuit, little biscuity yeah. bits. Yeah. And then some sort of caramel toffee kind of. So kind of it's, fondant inside. It's, it's the essence mm. of a millionaire shortbread, but I like the millionaire shortbread for being very biscuity. The millionaire shortbread just, is definitely a biscuity biscuit with layers of, of yeah. chocolate and caramel. This is a chocolate bar with fragments yes. of millionaire shortbread it's a, thrown it's a into it. a suggestion of biscuit. A little yeah. soupçon. Yeah, <laughs> it's very kind of crumbly, like it's been packed, like it's like loads of kind of sweet dust has been compressed into um, a biscuity shape. They've made a deal with a factory that makes millionaire shortbread right. <laughs> whereby they can go along with a dustpan and brush yeah. at the end of the afternoon, yeah. sweep up some bits and mm. then throw them into their big mixer. Nestle sweepings. I think Charlie's sold out. <laughs> this... Well, well, hold on. Okay. Let's give him a chance to redeem himself. Okay, what's the other one? This one is called chocolate nice cream. Mm. <laughs> or, okay, it's a pun. Or it's chocolate niece cream. Could be niece. Could the, be the niece biscuit. The Do you think it's ice cream or niece biscuit? I think it's more likely to be ice cream than niece. The uh, yeah. the biscuit, or indeed French town. It's quite an exciting packet. Like both of these, this is very sort of um, pink and shiny, like Quality Street kind of shiny. Pink. I do like the quality of the packaging, and as as you've opened both of those, I've been looking to see if there's a golden ticket inside. <laughs> I've been just watching excitedly. <laughs> 
you get to visit wherever the Nestle factory is. <laughs> in put, York. A, put a hair, hair net on or something. Oh, oh, hold on, look. What on earth is going on with this ice cream? Oh, this is weird. I'm not sure. I, I would want to know what this was before I... What's that black stuff on top? <laughs> so it's the same kind of deal. It's another one of these normal sort of dairy milk style chocolate bars, but filled with um, weird stuff. It's got and like it's, a, um, a milky fondant mm, filling yeah, and then white. a thick, goopy, almost licorice flavoured sort of chocolate topping on it. It's really yeah, it's rich. Like an, it's like an ice cream topping, isn't it? Oh. It's not licorice, it's it? Yeah, not like anyone I've, I would ever put on ice cream. Is it but, chocolate, do you think? Well, it's not chocolate. It describes it as a sauce. A chocolate yeah. sauce, okay. So, yeah. Vanilla cream topped with chocolate sauce. It's pretty rich. It's very rich. I quite like these, actually. They're growing on me. Mm-hmm. I think I could probably scoff a couple of those and, and then one. and then have a chocolate coma. There's one that there's one that left there, Rue. Nobody will judge. Oh, I, I, I'm careful. I'm trying to break it in half. See if anyone else wants to share it with me. No, no one wants to share. I'll just it. eat that then. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll pop that in. <laughs> mm. On the hatch. I like it. Mm. It's very sweet though. Both of these are pretty sweet. Let's face it. Oh well, okay. I, if I'd seen it in the shop, I probably would have dismissed it. But having tasted it. Would you, would you I'd, feel I'd it looks those. a bit too girly for you to buy, or would you not care about that? As, I mean, do you think they're quite pink, but girls, maybe, yeah, they're, they're quite pink, but I like um, Fry's Turkish Delight. Oh, yeah. And they're very pinky they're very purple, pink. so I don't have a problem with the colouring. Okay. Yeah. I, it just seemed to me like Wonka colouring, because okay. he does have a sort of like a purple sash on he's his hat, very, doesn't he? Yeah, he's a bit of a... In, in at least one of the films in he at does, least yeah. One of the, <laughs> at least one of the films. Possibly a Quentin Blake illustration, yeah. who knows. Okay, and then we've got... Some more rich um, chocolatey stuff. Uh, yep, this is this is Magnum, the uh, the, ice the ice lolly. The famously, the uh, yeah, fa- ladies like it. Ladies mm. like cool Magnum. They do. It it it, uh, <laughs> it arouses them, I believe. Lee. I I know nothing of of, of this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen them. I've seen on the adverts. They like it. Yeah, well, it makes them lick their lips really slowly. Well, these are Magnum chocolates. See, normally this goes the other way around. You get the chocolate bar that's then mysteriously adapted into a vaguely reminiscent ice lolly yes. that doesn't um, really, really... Uh, But the, I, I remember when Nestle started doing a lot of um, ice cream versions and they were almost all awful. I've had, I think this is round trees, but I've had the fruit pasta lolly, which is really They're nice. Very, yeah. very sweet and uh, big fan. Yeah. flavoursome. Okay. There you go. They are shaped. The refreshers lollies are really nice too. They, they are, are shaped like the ice cream. Go for it, Ella. Okay, so it's like a little sort of pellet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> chocolate pellet. <laughs> but it's about the size of um, my thumb. It's quite, it's quite substantial, really. Oh, there's three in each thing. Mm. And it's filled with like white fondant. Doesn't really it's quite, much quite airy and foamy on the inside, but if, if anything, it tastes a bit like ice cream-ish. It seems like something that's being marketed at women. It's like that, that's that's exactly how I describe it. It's the epitome <laughs> of the kind of food that women are supposed to like. <laughs> in uh, in capital letters, it has on this packaging: "Do not freeze." <laughs> Although, actually, I'm quite Why tempted. Why are they so angry about that? <laughs> be quite good. What's, what's going to happen? I think it would probably help. Happen. I think freezing it would probably be the best thing you could do to it. It's just making me want to freeze it more than ever. Yeah. I wouldn't have even thought of it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, you want to just, you know, be a rebel. Is it dark chocolate? It tastes like it might be dark chocolate. Quite nice. It tastes like whatever they wrap around. It's a milk chocolate coating. Mm, it's got a nice kind of bit It's not of... very milky milk chocolate. Mm. Yeah, that's all right. I think the filling lets it down. I think the filling's not yeah. as not as good as the chocolate. There has been Rainforest Alliance certified. Well, that's good of them. Is it is it like a competitor to Fair Trade? What the Rainforest Alliance? Yeah, I don't know. Do they operate peacefully in, co- in coexistence? I'm just not sure. Is it is it that they emphasise not that I, I, I'm assuming actually that um, Fair Trade is about like the amount of money that goes to the growers, making sure the people get paid. Whereas the Rainforest Alliance is probably. Based on environmental impact, oh, yeah. could people be versus people trees. versus trees. Yeah. Which do you care about more? It does sound like an iPhone game. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you've been busy with Hack Circus. I have. Tell um, us all about it. You know, we have our separate projects. I feel like I don't want to dominate this one with a different one, but I can. Um, yes, I can briefly summarise the relevant things uh, so yeah, I, I, was, I was going to keep you brief uh, yeah okay I was, well you said tell us all about it and I thought well I could tell you all about oh, it oh no yeah let me, let, me, let me word that differently <laughs> how was it so it was great yeah I was concerned that 
doing my second issue an event on the theme of reality might close some doors for future issues because it's the, everything that exists in the world but actually <laughs> it leaves I, people I quite free reign to talk about anything they can think of yeah and then and then i'll have nothing left for, fu- for the future so I'm, i should have ended on that rather than made it my second one maybe so we had this event um, about reality at the site gallery in sheffield and um, it was excellent actually i was worried about ticket sales until about the last 24 hours and then as usual everyone kind of <laughs> decided to come <laughs> and so it was quite full and we had Chris Farnell talking about how do you know you're not just actually a brain in a jar hooked up to a computer simulation and he had some tests for us to do which is quite good like you know if you hold the magazine really close to your face can you see pixels (laughs) (laughs) okay good test that sort of level and and I think the conclusion was that somebody in the room probably is the brain in the jar and everyone else is part of the computer simulation so we had to try and it's the only fair conclusion if it was yeah. one of us and he brought a brain in a jar as well <laughs> which I, I still don't know if it's a real brain he bought it on ebay and it looks quite real so he was great and really funny and then we had ralph harrington who spoke um, in fact did the volcano forecast for our zeb Sones issue and he read that out on that episode yeah that's right um so ralph volcanologist well he's a volcano enthusiast but he's also a historian and a geographer and lots of interesting things and he spoke he's also a model rail enthusiast and he spoke about realities constructed by uh, model railways and railway enthusiasm and the sort of the godlike reality that you create when Ooh. you so your kind of thing actually in terms of lego and right the power that you have over things. your own universe when you're creating it yes. that's very interesting yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, we had Sinead MacDonald, who also stayed at my house, which was really nice for the weekend. And she's uh, an Irish artist who I flew over from Dublin. Um, and I flew her over for the last one as well, and she was great, so I got her back. And she talked about photography and deception and some of the ways that um, technology and photography have uh, hoaxed or um, had created illusions um, how they can't be trusted over the years and some really funny examples of that fairies in the bottom of, of the garden that that kind of thing she, she talked about um, I hadn't heard of any of the ones she mentioned actually before so that was good but she talked about something called the sim seismograph which was uh, actually intended as a hoax and released on April Fool's Day hmm. in the early 20th century I think so it was when photography was quite young and it was like this guy saying okay we've created a way f- to read people's thoughts and we'll just get this panel of people and make them all think about a cat and then we'll like read their brains um, using this machine and create this composite image of what the essence of a cat is okay. from everybody's imagination. Yeah. It's just like a stupid, like loads of superimposed cat faces. <laughs> and then she said that at the end, no, no one realised it was a hoax, even when he said at the end, so yeah, so as a follow-up experiment, we're going to get loads of cats and get them to imagine what a human <laughs> looks like. Um, so there's lots of stuff like that and some performance as well. And, um, and it's really good fun. And um, we're going to do another one in June, possibly in Bristol. So nice. I'll, yeah. Touring the country. And do you have a theme for the next one yet? I do. It's um, Access All Areas. So it's going to be to do with uh, codes and um, locks. Locks. And, yeah, so I was hoping we might get some input from you. Oh, I'd love to do something on lock picking. Excellent. I'm still a bit uh, yeah. of an amateur, but I would, I would be okay. very excited to be part of Hack Circus. Oh, brilliant. Cool, we'll do that. Anything to do with the sort of trespassing and infiltration and even site-specific theatre, going places you're not supposed to go, sort of, as a general theme. So, yeah, send me your pitches, because I need to get on with it really soon. Definitely a lot of good geeky themes in there. I think accessing things that you're not supposed to is something that appeals to a lot of of people like us. I think so. I think so. I found it quite... That's the thing, I have to find exciting as an idea, and I also have to see how it will work as an event. Listeners, I genuinely implore you to send me your ideas and thoughts for that, because... um, I need to start uh, working on it now. Yeah, so. Well, any listeners who are more experienced than me at lockpicking, <laughs> which will be many of them, mm-hmm. should probably go to the front of the line when it comes to lockpicking demonstrations and mm. talks. But if you need me, yep. I'm there for you. Great. With well, my three weeks of experience. I appreciate it. How's it going, by the way? How, what have you, what's the biggest lock you've It's good. <laughs> I've, I've picked a five-pin front door lock. Right. Uh, which was my b- most challenging lock so far. That's right. having worked up from really crappy two-pin padlocks to three-pin padlocks, five-pin padlocks, mm. and then, yeah, a front door lock. To be fair, it was a £3.99 front door lock, okay. so it was a pretty right. crappy one. Right. But I did it, and I, I did it there um, much individually. In that house. No, that would there's, be a pretty crap, yeah. Not much worth nicking. What I've learnt from that is cheap front door locks probably best avoided because right. i'm you know genuinely an amateur I've, yeah. as i said on last episode i've watched a lot of videos so in my head i knew how to do it yeah turns out it was pretty much like i imagined right you get in there you twist it a little bit get, you know push the little pins up you can there's two two approaches to lock picking mm. turns out you can rake at the pins yes uh, and try and jiggle them all at once 
which is, if you're speed picking, is a very fast and impressive looking way. Yeah. But the purists amongst us, yeah. those of us who appreciate the, the artistry of opening a lock and those using our brains to solve yeah. the problem, yeah. we are particularly excited about <laughs> single pin picking. Yes. Uh, which is, you know, taking them one at a time, very carefully listening and just getting a nice feel for which ones have, have properly moved to the right place and which one's still need working on. Mm-hmm. I found I've actually enjoyed that a lot more. It feels right. a lot less like random hacking at it yeah. and, and a lot more uh, a lot more finesse, exactly. Yeah. exactly. So have you been doing this uh, like just in front of the telly at home or is this something you need to s- sort of have quiet time for and concentrate on and focus well, and go to your studio? There are two places that I pick locks. <laughs> right. One of them is very much in the living room half looking after the baby mm. or maybe with a film on in the background but I, I have a, a space at the back of the, the room with a little vice set up uh, connected to the, the wow. living room table so okay. you can put your locks in and, and then you've got both hands free for accessing it mm-hmm. so it helps especially with the front door locks um, I know some people literally build a, a plank of wood with, with locks built into it so it's much more realistic of attacking a front door yeah, yeah. rather than holding it in your hand where you might be uh, you know, getting feedback and, and holding it in ways that wouldn't be very realistic mm. for a lock in in situ. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I've got this vice which allows me to you know like have a go at some 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 locks in some different yeah. ways. The other place I do it is on the train. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. There's a nice way of decompressing at the end of the day, mm. holding a padlock in your left hand with the tension wrench, just gently pressure with one finger and then with the other hand going in with a pick. Right, so you haven't, nice. tried, you haven't tried vicing it to the table on the, the flap thing that comes down. You can have a portable vice. And, I could bring my um, own vice on the train. Bring, and some wood, I suppose. I could do all of that. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't done that yet, but I've, I've, I've had a few funny looks. I bet you have, yeah. People, there are, there's a certain class of man, and it's always been men, actually, yeah. who want to talk to you about it. Mm don't quite have the confidence to Aww. say oh tell me more or oh I used to do that or whatever it is that's on their mind mm. I'd love to know mm. so anyone who's listening to this that that might in the future find themselves overseeing somebody picking a lock yeah my encouragement to you is be brave yeah start a conversation with them I remember this reminds me of a tweet that was done by former shift run stop guest Ali Cook saying that he had been practicing his coin magic on the train on the table on the train which is sort of pushing coins through the table oh and nice that sort of thing. nice yeah. many drives but I guess he does sometimes use the, tr- use the trains yeah and, Hard uh, to do uh, up close sleight of hand magic while you're driving. <laughs> yes, not quite a bit safe. of a risk. He must have to. You know, he's got a long train journey and a show that night. Probably he probably does have to rehearse on the train. So if you ever see a magician on the train, equally, yeah. I'm sure they love to be interrupted and talked to while they're in the middle of Buy a ticket while you're on the way there. You might be going in the same direction. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, the thing I'm not sure about is the legality of carrying lock picking equipment on the street. Ah, uh, you might. I mean, on the streets, probably fine. You might get you know questioned at the airport airports would be a risk i think any situation where somebody is entitled to search me mm. might be might be problematic <laughs> right so generally walking around london i'm not mm. sure under what circumstances somebody might stop and search a passerby yeah and the thing i'm particularly conscious about is my my privilege as a youngish, you know, well-to-do white male, mm. means that police don't tend to stop and hassle me, and yeah. you know, ask me to turn out my pockets and yeah. stuff. So I'm, I'm not really very familiar with the rules around that. Like, you know, would they have to have probable cause? <laughs> What's in what situations? As, as I'm walking through Waterloo Station of a morning, mm. might somebody say to me, "Show me everything in your bag," because mm. I believe, and I need to read up much more thoroughly on this, but I believe that carrying lock picks and lock picking equipment is even without any additional probable cause that you're going to commit some sort of crime, like, you know, break mm. into a house. I, I believe even the lockpicks themselves are enough to be charged with something maybe called going equipped. Oh. So, you know, the, the act of carrying them is enough to indicate that you might be intending to burgle somebody's house. Right. The onus is on you to prove that you're not doing that, mm. whereas in my mind, it's the other way around. Like, they, they have to prove that I'm actually using these mm. for something naughty rather than just for a nice fun hobby mm. but I, I think it could be on quite risky ground so yeah, the thing I'm worried about Leila is mm. I don't want to rely on my white privilege to be the reason that I'm not getting in trouble for this <laughs> okay. so anyone, maybe any pro bono legal <laughs> mm. uh, minds out there who, who want to offer up some help and advice or even just point me at the relevant bit of legislation Lee yeah. Maguire, I'm looking at you yeah, where is Lee? We should have invited him today. Sorry, Lee. We keep forgetting to invite him. No, I think we sort of we've had snacks, ample snacks, and we, we've neglected Lee a bit. Lee might well be back. in this episode. Oh, interesting. He might. Well, we might well grave. have snacks from from Lee, but he's not here with us now. <laughs> okay. Otherwise, I would ask him because I think he's the sort of person that would know 
yeah the the hacker laws stuff because for photography i would know where to go i would mm. know where to find the pdf that i could print out and keep okay, my pocket right no you don't have to hand your camera over yeah and it's okay to take photos in a public place you know all that stuff mm. uh, yeah, that's fine mm. not fixed don't know mm. so yeah any any tips please listeners because i'm feeling a bit nervous about taking my lock, lock stuff on the train i quite like this idea of like um this kind of conscience thing of just because I'm, you know, I'm unlikely to be the kind of person who would be searched, I feel uncomfortable about not being searched almost. And, it, and it's like, well, it seems unfair that you can't innocent yourself, like you can guilt yourself, but you can't, you can't go out of your way to turn the tables and say, look, you're allowed to um, accost me, but I'm not allowed to unaccost myself and go up to you and say search me or or um somehow make a police car pull you over you can't pull over a police car and say, say look i'm, I'm clean. fine yeah i'm fine just let's get this over with this morning there's a name and then for i'll that. be fine for the rest of the day that's called wasting police time <laughs> well or is it though isn't it actually is how is it wasting their time it's not it's oh, not gosh. wasting their time any less yeah, um, but if they search you, they have, don't they have to have a reason? No, I don't know. I've often wondered, because I've mm. seen uh, the sniffer dogs at Waterloo. Yes, yeah. So if I go around smelling of drugs, mm. then it's possible that, that they've got enough to go on just to say, well, mm. this dog thinks you smell nice, so we're going to mm. stop you and search you for drugs. Is that... I don't know. I don't know anything, Layla. <laughs> I'm feeling really underinformed about life in Britain today. <laughs> it's funny, As a uh, non-law-breaking person who might be confused with the lawbreaker because mm. of one of my weird hobbies how much kit do you carry around with you you know in the last some, few weeks some locks f- photos of doors um, <laughs> i don't know in the last but few how weeks far does it go? i've regularly carried a small set of lock picks and wrenches okay. but a small one you know like a, a, mm. a very slender little leather wallet that i could if i needed to conceal about my person mm. i could you know <laughs> slip that into a, a crevice <laughs> and i carry anywhere from two to four padlocks Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Two to four. And I could probably write a blog post talking about my hobby, or even now I could probably point them at some YouTube videos that I've made and say, look, there's evidence. I've been doing this on the internet. This this very podcast might one day be be (laughs) transmitted in court. Court of law. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be up against it. (laughs) Hello, future self. You fucked up, didn't you? It seems extraordinary. Computers can express the whole of human knowledge, which we will symbolise by a pair of spectacles. I did a quiz on reality for Hack Circus on the 15th and uh, threw the questions out to the audience and I have a sense now of which ones are fairly difficult and which ones are absurdly easy and uh, which ones you guys might like. So I thought I'd list the questions and rather than saying the answers at the end, maybe we'll have the answers in the next episode. And I apologise if you can hear Brody, my dog, in the background scuttling around wondering who on earth I'm talking to. So, this, these are on the theme of existence. In Only Fools and Horses, Trigger claims that he has kept the same broom for it for 20 years, but it's had 17 new heads and 14 new handles. What is the name of the philosophical paradox this is an example of? Second question. Schrodinger's cat is often used to illustrate aspects of quantum mechanics, but what was the name of Schrodinger's real-life cat at the time he thought up the idea? Okay, now we're on the virtual reality section. The film Source Code stars Jake Gyllenhaal as a soldier who leaps into another body on a commuter train. What keyboard shortcut typically allows you to view the source of a given web page? Lawnmower Man. Of the two main types of mower, which mower is used in the film? Oh, it'd be so awful though if you got arrested for... Well, it'd be sort of awful, but kind of amazing as well. No. Like, you'd be a bit of a geek hero, I think. <laughs> no, it would be dreadful. No, it would be. It'd no, be I don't want to be arrested just because it looks a bit fishy mm. to have things that would make it very easy to open a door. Mm. I have no intention of opening a door. Yeah. Have you tried unlocking your own front door? No. I think right. No. Are you afraid to in case you can do it? Exactly. Well, no, I'm no. afraid to in case I break the door. <laughs> in case one gets stuck in it or yeah. a pin doesn't come back. Yeah. One of the principles of lockpicking, which we, we began to talk about last yes. time, but yeah. then the alarm went off. Oh, that's right. I was just about to say there are some principles that I, I'm going to live by mm. that I've inherited from other lockpickers who I respect. 
And one of them is not to pick a lock that you don't own or somebody hasn't given you permission to pick. Yeah. Because that's ethical, right? I don't want yeah. to just open your front door without you without you yeah. knowing. That'd be rude. Yeah. And the other one is not to pick any lock that is in use. Right. Because you might damage it. When you say in use, like it's <laughs> relied on. It's being right. There's not somebody on the other side of it opening the door. Whereas it, a padlock yeah. that I've bought for the purpose of picking. Yeah. That's totally. You know. That's that's why I bought it. Right. But my front door. If I mess with that to the extent that I might break off the end of a pick in there or turn it upside down and get the pins stuck and, you know, yeah. the, the springs might go a bit skewy, yeah. that would be really annoying. Yes. I might have to call a locksmith and be really embarrassed <laughs> and say, like, I've just tried to pick my own front door. <laughs> oh. But I like could ask a locksmith. The times we've had people... Yeah, yeah you, you could ask them. I yeah. could ask them about the law. But I think they've got it fairly easy because they can just produce a business card that says Alan mm. Bates locksmith. That's true. I could just make... I could, <clears throat> I could make a business oh, card. Oh, God. It's I, I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm credible as a locksmith. Impersonate a locksmith. <laughs> yeah, no, that that would be risky. Mm. Probably better to use the truth and say yes, this is a hobby. Probably <laughs> yeah. better to, to do that. Yeah, I like that you're um that you're developing new hobbies on top of all your. You talk all you talked about your collections at Boring. You didn't talk about hobbies didn't exactly, about hobbies, but yeah. it's a similar sort of thing. Lock picking is yeah. I now have a collection of locks already. I've got a box right. full of locks, obviously. <laughs> right. I've also started just in the last week or so. I've started uh, mindfulness meditation. Oh yeah, so everyone's doing this now. Very trendy. I, yeah, yeah. I was sort of interested in it as a teenager. Found it quite useful and. Uh, then kind of got out of the habit of it but then suddenly everybody's doing it now in a good way tell me how you found it to be useful i just felt like i was more relaxed and more uh able to cope with the world i guess it put me in a good frame of mind for the day but it did take a little while like to Mm. start with you you just it's a very weird thing to do and very unnatural Mm. and uh you don't really understand that it's helping anything at all but then after a while you keep doing it and you do slightly chills you out a bit I think a lot of people might have have heard of it but never actually tried it for themselves yeah so well I mean in my experience it's sort of to do with being very in the moment and being aware of your body and things like this so you 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 count your breath for Hmm. example is one of the sort of initial things people do yeah there are slightly weird and more imaginative versions I think where you go you know imagining that you're a on the seaside or inside an apple or whatever it is Um, but I think the the helpful ones are just kind of being slightly detached from your thought processes and mm. realising that they're not, um, they don't have to affect you immediately and emotionally in an exciting way, and you can you can split your mind into observer and observed. Yeah, getting away from discursive verbal thought running through your mind mm. and being able to just let your subconscious take over for a bit. Actually, taking the time occasionally to just breathe and just mm. think about what breathing, is, not even think about breathing, but just just breathe and be mm. conscious of the fact that you are breathing. Mm. The guy who's taking a, a session, a weekly meditation class, if you will, mm. uh, a friend of mine called Padma, proper mm. hippie, right. lived in a yurt for years, right. called himself Padma, you okay, know, like it's proper. Not his real name, right? Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's uh, a sacred flower. So, you know, okay, he's a yeah. hardcore hippie yeah. um, and utterly lovely. Yeah. Uh, and he's leading us through the mindfulness of breathing right. and helping us. I've only been to one of these. So as with the lock picking last time, you know, like this is, this is not something I know anything about. You're now a guru. I yeah. totally, you know, guru-tastic. I'm on yeah. the path to enlightenment. But what I found very useful was just relaxing for an hour, mm. breathing in and out, thinking only about that for a mm. bit. Mm. And then afterwards, we, we had a bit of a sort of discussion, question-answer time, and people were coming up with um, their own uh, tips and, you know, suggestions and uh, asking him about, you know, what, what might work and stuff. Mm. And one that I found really, really interesting was this idea of, Mindfulness and, and meditation doesn't have to be purely a, a mental activity whereby you, you still yourself and close your eyes and do nothing. Mm. But it can actually be something where even walking along and you know, maybe counting your steps or counting mm. your breath as you, as you walk, or even one person talked about um, holding a, a small citrus fruit like a satsuma mm. and peeling it really slowly mm. and then peeling all the mm. white, what's it called, pith, you know, the, the, yeah. the stuff on the inside of the skin. And you might take 15, 20 minutes just to be conscious of peeling an orange so I I got quite close last night to doing that with a cabbage cream egg but I thought it might be be disrespectful (laughs) to to peel very slowly a foil but you could do it you could do that I think it's the same thing though I think 
you jest, but I think there is an element of just kind of really concentrating and focusing on one thing at the expense of worrying about sort of scatty things that aren't, you know, worrying doesn't help anyway, and thinking about things that are, that aren't actually right in front of you quite often isn't very productive or helpful. Whereas thinking in a very focused, directed, and sometimes quite structural way, in this kind of counting your thoughts in a linear way, and it's something that's like kind of geeky relaxation sort of thing about that I can see why it might appeal to people with slightly geeky tendencies or yeah I did like I did a, a talk at um, Farida Lovelace Day last year about why you should get into technology if you're well not necessarily if you're a woman but why people enjoy technology and why it's fun and one of the aspects is that it's actually relaxing and people yeah. don't ever think about that and um, somebody wrote something for Hack Circus about um, how technology is quite like knitting and actually programming is like knitting and you do these loops and it was a guy that wrote it it wasn't like a, a sort of female metaphor by a woman it was like a guy saying you know I really like knitting and the timelessness and the being slightly outside of time and slightly abstracted from time and all that sort of stuff I've seen Tom Armitage talk about making thing you know soldering loop pedals or, or effects pedals yeah. as being his equivalent of digital knitting you know that's yeah. that's what he does to occupy his hands yeah. my dad does it with making toadstools out of wood you know oh, wh- yes. whittling and, yeah. and i think in some ways lock picking could be the same thing yes i was going to say you know it's yeah. sufficiently absorbing that it can take your mind off of anything else yeah it's a, a sequential process you're going to try each of the pins one at a time you're, yeah. you're very conscious of of what you're doing yeah um to the exclusion of all else yeah so in some ways my my future combination of hobbies of, of lock picking yeah. plus mindfulness meditation all coming into one handy new thing i'm quite excited about this do you think it's all it's, it's all happening because you're feeling slightly under pressure as a new dad and and struggling to sleep and all these kind of things that you feel like i mean not necessarily in a negative way but it's making you more aware that you need to have relaxation and have time to yourself to concentrate on things yeah, it could be realistic hobbies you know things that i can uh, actually do in the time that I have available to me and yeah. the, the space that I have. Yeah, so li- sort of also little steps and working towards things rather than feeling that you have to... I don't know, there's something quite nice about... I mean, this is a bit of a therapy session thing, but like, there's something quite nice about feeling that you're doing um, small things that are gradually working towards or improving... Um, without ha- actually having an end goal of being the master at it, or even, That's true, yeah. or even kind of thinking, I need to learn all this this week so that I can be really good at it really soon. It's <laughs> like actually, this is kind of hard enough and kind of meditative enough yeah. that I can just keep doing a little bit at a time, yeah. and it'll have it'll pay off straight away. Just as a, in its own right, yes. it's a worthwhile, relaxing yeah. thing. So yeah. I'm never going to be the best picker of locks in the no. world. I'm never going to be, you know, some Zen guru, yeah. Buddhist master, yeah. And I don't want to be you know just just spending an hour relaxing yeah. is enough just picking a lock for its own sake is enough yeah yeah, yeah. it was like um i was saying about the talk i did at lovelace day i was talking about um well the examples i was giving were from doing sort of graphics in bbc basics so it was like i write you know 300 lines of code and like and they're all pretty much almost every command is just like plotting a point on a graph a piece of graph paper okay, yeah. it's not exciting and it's not something even as a child you never think at school this will be a good thing to do when i'm an adult I, you know <laughs> i'm really going to enjoy that that's exciting just putting plot brackets two numbers the, the comma but most of it is that that level of just kind of repeating these things and typing out the numbers and making sure you get them right because if you get them wrong you fucked up the whole thing um, same with knitting or something so it's that's sort of true it only takes like, a little bit to ruin it doesn't yeah it? and that's almost like that's what the focus and the enjoyment is it's like i'm getting it right and i'm getting it right again and again and yeah, again and that's interesting. like constantly trying not to fuck up actually that has a parallel with lock picking as well because mm. you might have a five or six pin lock each one of those pins will require you to hold the tension of twisting the barrel of the lock just right mm. and if you go too far you might have to start again Right. And if you let go, you've definitely got to start again because yeah. you've dropped them all. So as with knitting, it's sort of the, the satisfaction is having got to the end of that process and done it without screwing up the whole way through. Mm. And it might take a minute or it might take, you know, 10 minutes to, mm. to, to do that. And in all that time, there is a reset. You know, you, you might have to just give up and start again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like, that's what, sort of what I like about um, old computers generally as well is that there's like a... A high barrier that is, you need to concentrate quite a lot in a way that you don't necessarily with new software and new computers because you the <laughs> the danger of losing everything is so high. Much higher, yeah. <laughs> compared to how it used yeah, the to. number of times that my Commodore sixty four and my BBC Micro B mm. were hard reset during yeah. the course of an evening of you know prying, yeah. trying to program it. Yeah, much higher. Yeah, that you know my my laptop at the moment, which I've done you know a bit of tinkering and a bit of hacking on, but. Mm. Um, it, it can go for three months before being rebooted. <laughs> yeah. Easily. Yeah. 
Um, and it's always kind of a shock when it does because you've been relying on it all just being there and being safe. Whereas yeah, you open you... the lid and it's on. You know, you don't yeah. have to worry about the thing booting up. Yeah. Although I suppose the, the, both the Commodore and the BBC had the advantage that when you when you powered them up, you didn't have to wait for the operating system no, to load. It was just there. It was brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So in the moment, they're very meditative in that way. <laughs> very, actually, very when you quick. think about it, there's there's a talk there. I could do a talk about meditation in the BBC Micro or something. That'd be quite interesting. I'm excited to hear that, that you've got some experience of it, though. Did you um, ever think about getting back into doing some some meditation? Uh, yeah, actually, I was talking to a friend of mine who is a um, doctor, and she was saying that one of the ones that she finds helpful and is used a lot, a lot at the moment is an app called Headspace, which I think is really popular at the moment. It's quite slick and like almost like Steve Jobs of the meditation world that's kind of directing it. But you get, I think, every day for the rest of your life, maybe, or maybe a few months, you get... Um, like a guided meditation it's just 10 minutes a day and they send it to you and you sit and listen to it okay um and i i like listen i did the first one and then i was waiting for them to email me the second one i think maybe it went to spam or something and i sort of forgot about it and then i had to do something else and i kind of let it go which was a shame but um it's just that taking 10 minutes out every day i think can be really useful and if you have something just emailing you and reminding yeah, you right. and there are loads of these apps now i think that do this so it's not just that one that i mentioned and that one was called headspace yeah but i i can't I haven't really used it, so I can't really vouch no, for it. No. But, there are, but there are there are lots of options now for people who want to get into this, or you could just get into you know programming for an obsolete technology, or uh, knitting, or lock picking, or building effects pedals. I'm quite. Oh, yeah? I, I very nearly ordered a whole bunch of potentiometers and uh, you know bits of bits of wire. Right. <laughs> All the things that you might need. I'm sure there are others. There must be others. Capacitors, perhaps. <laughs> Capacitors, maybe. Um, and uh, phono jacks, so that you can plug um, your your guitar, yeah. which I do have one, yeah. uh, into an effects pedal, which might be some fuzz or some chorus or some delay or whatever. Mm. Um, or e- I could even, with the right combination of, of parts, I could even build my own wah wah pedal, for example. Right. That'd be quite exciting. And yeah. there are there are sites out there, communities of people who share designs for how to make your own effects pedal. Sometimes cloning really famous and often very expensive designs and so you can make it at home yourself for pennies that's interesting yeah i mentioned earlier tom armitage um is is into this as a thing Mm. and i've seen on his flicker stream some really beautiful things that he's made you know some Mm. really nice bit of soldering and then putting it in a nice metal enclosure with a a stomp button so that you can uh you know hook it up to a guitar and and play and having made your own effects pedals it just seems like such a nice thing to do so it's definitely Mm. on my list of uh potential future hobbies yeah sounds good yeah, I need to start sort of making physical things again at some point, I think. Right, this section's Imaginary Friends. Rick Mail plays an imaginary friend in which film? Sam Beckett's guide through Imaginary Friends Sci-Fi Quantum Leap was Al, but where was he being projected from? Um... Where does Roger Rabbit live? In what film does Professor Emilius Brown get turned into a rabbit with the spell filigree, apogee, pedigree, perigee? What is written on the Mad Hatter's hat? Which US rock band is best known for the song White Rabbits, influenced by Alice in Wonderland? What was Lewis Carroll's real name? Magicians make a career out of distorting our perception of reality. How old is Paul Daniels? In the Red Dwarf episode Back to Reality, what is the name of the wrecked ship the crew are investigating? And what is the animal that makes them hallucinate? Which Star Trek character particularly enjoys playing Sherlock Holmes on the the holodeck? I bought some uh, some sweets as well. I found this bag of Cadbury Dairy Milk Pebbles, and on the outside these look a lot like little tiny little Easter eggs. But I'm not sure if they're, if they're not to scale. They've well, this one them, says I'm actual size. They've so. made them way <laughs> this, too. That one's to scale, but not the other ones. Yeah. Only one. <laughs> yeah, they've made them way too egg shaped. Like, there's probably a couple that are less egg shaped to show that they're not eggs. They look like um, slightly elongated Smarties. So it's like a. Mm. It's a smarty that's been stretched it's a, it's in like one a, direction. It's like, a, it's like a smarty that you could use to play guitar. <laughs> it's an 
inedible plectrum. <laughs> the trouble is, although it looks like a pebble, on mass it doesn't look like lots of pebbles because pebbles are inherently uh, different shapes and sizes. Right. Yeah, you get variety, yeah. whereas here you don't get variety. So because they're all uniform, you're looking for the shape, and, and the shape is very much like an like an egg. To my eye, that's that's an egg, not a it's, pebble. It's odd to think of a um, a planet or, or possible region where the um, the tides have uh, smoothed down rocks to uh, uniform, to look like this. uniform size and shape. Actually, are they are they all identical in, in shape? Pretty, I think they are. Yeah, it's and very disappointing, really. They're quite pretty though. I like the colours because they're sort of muted, slightly. Um, those kind of colours that are very fashionable in design things these days. They're they're all right, aren't they? I mean, I'm not I'm not too impressed, really. They no, are like they big are, smarties. They are like wonky smarties, aren't they? Mm. Ultimately, yeah, pebbles as well isn't necessarily a very aspirational thing. <laughs> <laughs> when we were sitting in, we reached the point where we were eating pebbles. Yeah. yeah. The good thing is because they're slightly bigger than Smarties, you pop three of them in your mouth and you've got a, a really sort of good, mm. substantial mouthful of chocolate. Smarties. That's what for, I just did. Smarties for people of whose size. Mm. Smarties for giants. Stretched along the x axis. <laughs> well, they're fine. I think mm. they look better than they are, really. It's a shame you only get three colours, though. I think they should maybe introduce a, f- a couple more. I don't know how extensively they've tested the colours. I imagine nice... that there was some kind of... Uh, obviously, one of them had to be purple, because... Uh, Cadbury's. Yeah. They've been trying to uh, they've been trying to trademark that specific shade of purple for a long time. Well, and they've, they've got it wrong. In this case. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the same shade as on the packet. It's pale, yeah. Um, but they've also gone for brown and yellow. Brown and yellow traditional egg colours. Not very pebble colours. I mean, I, I was thinking some nice sort of muted greeny greys. Yeah. Some stuff that you might find on a riverbed. That would be lovely, yeah. Yeah. Black, white. Yeah, let's yeah. so do some, you, some you'd natural like, colours. You'd like the, the sweets to look literally like pebbles. I have seen sweets. Can you imagine if <laughs> if that turned out to be a winner? But right. in the future, people would just be like <laughs> putting their hands into what looked like bags of pebbles. Yeah. You can, you can buy house. in some countries. You can buy yeah. like jars of like sugar sweets. sweets they, yeah. yeah, that are just much more like pebbles than those. Um, mm. So if that's their attempt at emulating that, then they've done a very, <laughs> very weak job. They've, they've, got, they've got sidetracked <laughs> by bright colours, but also by mm. eggs. <laughs> they've they've eggs. gone down the Cadbury's they egg They can't let the egg thing go. Maybe they think that eggs is a big part of their brand, so they have to... A big part of um, what it is. Do, do you Cadbury's. think that they'd, um, they developed this as, like, an egg sweet... Yeah, and then egg did not test very well. Yeah, and they oh, thought, oh, like, what does oh, it God, look like? What else, what else could it be? What plectrums? Could it possibly be? <laughs> it's not a plectrum. <laughs> it's not a fingernail. Let's not say it's fingernails. <laughs> let's not even do a Halloween fingernail special. Let's just do uh, let's do pebbles. That's what that's yeah. what we should call them. I, I think this is the sort of uh, product, and you know, we, we can test whether this turns out to be true or not. But I imagine that in a year's time. This will be gone, forgotten, yeah. off the shelf. Nobody's ever going to see these again. Get them while they're available, because <laughs> I predict these are going straight down the memory you hole. You don't think that they're not they're going to uh, survive so, the test of no. There's no brand here. There's no central theme. There was there's no product truth here. There's nothing to this which is going to make you go, oh yeah, I'm going to recommend these to a friend. The strapline is joy for all. Just, just they literally weird, don't know what like they're a doing. Church, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> they literally have no clue. So weird, Joy and, the, and it's all. like all the pebbles are holding a banner up that says "Joy for All," like all kind of. Rusty. On Sma- the left, smashed cut to twenty sixteen. <laughs> pebbles have become the rallying, <laughs> the rallying point for the entirety the, the of world truth culture. Of. So on the left side of the packet, um, there are some uh, some pebbles holding up signs saying, "What do you want? Delicious chocolate in crispy shells." <laughs> and on the other side, "When do you want it? Now." And then another one with a but, with a big foam glove go and saying, <laughs> and another one with a big foam glove saying, "Pick me." I mean, what, it's, what, it's what are they doing? It definitely is a call to action. It mm. is saying, if you want chocolate, get out on the streets and demand chocolate. What they've done is in the is it, in the aftermath. On the riots? Well, exactly in the aftermath <laughs> of the riots, they've, they're, what they've focus grouped is that young people want to have a cause to rally behind, mm. and they've decided that the rallying cry of Cadbury's Pebbles is going to be. Delicious chocolate, <laughs> which we want now. I, I like. I like that they sit around like the evil Cadbury's executives, going, 
how are we going to co-opt <laughs> the, these rebellious young people with their street protests? I've become angry. I can't, I can't carry on. <laughs> Fucking advertising and marketing and mm. product design. But you brought these, right? <laughs> I, paid, I paid money for them. <laughs> on the basis your, that, this is your favourite sweet. Uh, well, they're definitely not my favourite, but on the basis that um, I hadn't seen them before, and mm. now I'm realising I don't ever expect to see them again. I, mm. I expect that the final packet is a pebble holding up a sign that says, down with this sort of thing. <laughs> Careful now. Oh, angry. I've got a sugar headache now, Lee. Thanks. And this section is called Hipster Nonsense Films. Which French singer's lack of regrets underscored overrated 2010 hipster nonsense film Inception? Which overrated hipster nonsense TV series features a Labrador called Vincent? Which overrated 2004 hipster nonsense film features four nerds in a big yellow storage facility or something? This section is called Unexpected Ghosts. Which is the name of the unexpected ghost who possesses Sigourney Weaver in Ghostbusters? In Supernatural Australian TV series Neighbours, which deceased teenage character appears as a ghost in a mirror? In Metaphysical Australian TV series Neighbours, what happens in Bouncer's Dream? Send us your answers if you want to, but don't you don't have to, <laughs> of course. There's no prize. But uh, I hope you enjoyed the quiz. Thanks. I did give away some electronics components in the goodie bags for the event on Saturday, amongst other things. So there were sweets and there were like switches and wires. Oh, brilliant. And then there were like toy cars and bits of plasticine and stickers. I bet that went down really well. um, Well, I hope so. Like, it's hard to know. I think it was kind of an artistic crowd, but then there were some geeky people I know in Sheffield who came as well. And so I explained that I'd what was in the goodie bags and why <laughs> I think they appreciated it it was that's a, nice. a quirky combination yeah, that's good did you have to go shopping for bits no, or did you the, just have stuff like that I was that? literally looking around my house going what can I put in these <laughs> right. um, and sweets were cheap because you can go to the pound shop and get a load of sweets yeah. uh, and then I had books left over from previous events nice. oh that reminds me one of the books that I gave away in some goodie bags was by Catho Flynn who spoke at my apocalypse event in 2012 and is sort of a friend of mine and, and um, was on this show with her husband Peter Fletcher and their beautiful baby Peter Fletcher recently contributed this to Beardy Dads, yes. the, the best podcast on iTunes. <laughs> the second best podcast. <laughs> the joint best podcast. Peter emailed me the other day and said um, he was about to record something for your show. Or Very good, yeah. He should have probably that. turned off the bread maker in the background. Yeah, yeah. it was you know, oh. it was slightly distracting, <laughs> but it was okay. It just created a different ambience, which is always right, nice. Right, you know. uh, but you were talking about Kath. Nice. So Kath's book, which was called What Was Lost, uh, was donated by Kath to that event and I think in the end we had so many books that I didn't use most of those so I gave them out at this one instead and it's it's sort of relevant to the theme of reality but it's also an excellent book and I recommend it to listeners of Shift Fun Stop if they didn't listen, go out and buy it when I'd they like to read it, I heard it was very well reviewed It was, it went really well and she's got more book deals and with bigger publishers off the back of that Brilliant. Um, and is now basically just a, a professional author successful professional author which And does she write as Cathay Flynn? Yeah, Catherine O'Flynn, Catherine I think is her public author name. Okay. Um, and they live in Birmingham. That's good. Well, I will look that up. Um, in the last episode, talking of books, you mentioned your new book. Yes. I think you were just about to tell me how I could buy it in a way that would make you the most money. <laughs> is that what was just about to happen? I, I don't... You see, you said this in an email and I can't really remember. I would suggest probably just buy it for Kindle on Amazon because I think you have to pretty much break a certain threshold before we'd make any money off the hardback having said that it'd be nice if some people bought the hardback just because it's sort of an object and that's quite good if enough people buy the hardback will it come out as paperback (laughs) maybe but i think we need to get to quite a high number before that would happen so if you're holding off this is why i ask if you're you're listening to this and you support layla and her work and you want to buy her book and you know frankly the the kindle is a it's a a beautiful object but it's not the same (laughs) if you want the thing on your shelf and you're thinking, well, I'll just wait for it comes out in paperback. It'll be cheaper, it'll be yeah. smaller, it'll be more convenient. Yeah, you'll be waiting a long time. Don't do that. <laughs> Buy the hardback yeah. just in case. Yes, I think, to be honest, the hardback is quite expensive. Um, it's like £8 compared to the Kindle, which is something like £2. And I don't know, like if I was in a listener's position, I'd probably buy the Kindle one. What's it called? It's called The Inner Head. And it's, a, as we mentioned last time, it's, it's a, an amusing guidebook to 
magic and mysteries and the unexplained. Well, um, we're going to have to go. Yes. But it's been... I, I have not enjoyed an episode more than this for quite a long time, Lena. Oh, that's nice of you to say. Maybe it's the meditation. I'm just feeling You're nice. Enjoying life. Life's good. It's been great to see you too, and it's, it's nice to sit outside and start the summer season of Chiffron Stops again. It is nice, and I hope anyone listening isn't too disoriented by the fact that we're outside if you're listening while you're walking along or, or in a car or whatever it must be a bit weird but you know, <laughs> listen in a park and that'd be and weird be, double might park be even more, yeah double park um, we did have one person say it was a bit disorientating hearing tennis balls in the background while they're watching red dwarf on the country <laughs> I think that was Mike Trinder, actually, from Beta. I think it was. And I, I have noticed that successful directors of films, when they're asked to do their director's commentary, yes. they very rarely go to a park. <laughs> they don't sit next to a tennis court. <laughs> maybe they should. Maybe yeah. we start a new thing. That would be good. OK, well, we'll, we'll be back in your ears soon on Chiffron Stop. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, thanks for, the, thanks for downloading. Yeah, let, and also um, give us some feedback on if you'd like us to do more... Uh, commentaries because we quite like doing those yeah I'd, I'd really like to do um, back to reality yeah. uh, in keeping with your latest hack circus but oh, also it's one yeah. of my favourite episodes of it is an excellent episode I, I really enjoy that one too but if you've got ideas for other programmes that we should do a fan commentary of a TV programme that you think we might enjoy let us know yeah we haven't had any reviews on iTunes for a very long time oh yeah so you know listeners have been slacking if you've been enjoying Shift and Stop <laughs> for all these years let us know. Let get, everyone else get know. Get on iTunes and tell people. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, well, see you, see you again soon, then. Bye. Goodbye. been listening to Shift Run Stop, shiftrunstop.co.uk.